Hey siblings, it's crazy to think it's already been a month since we spoke last. I hope you are happy and healthy, warm and well. I know monthly episodes seems like a long time, but I promise it was worth the wait because today's guest has some amazing wisdom to share with us. Reverend Tony Lee is the founder and senior pastor of the Community of Hope AME Church. Community of Hope is recognized throughout the region for its innovative ministry and community outreach. From spiritual health to physical and mental health, the church strives to impact the community by providing tools to address the challenges of life. Reverend Lee has received national media attention, including BT, TV One, and CNN. He has also been featured in various print media to include the Washington Post, Huffington Post, and Gospel Today magazine. He was also a contributor in the book, Being a Black Man at the Corner of Progress and Peril. He is currently the host of the gospel radio show, Sunday Morning Hope, that can be heard Sundays on WPGC 95.5 FM. Reverend Lee also holds a Bachelor of Science degree from the University of Maryland College Park and Master's of Divinity degree from Union Theological Seminary. Reverend Lee is an amazing, amazing person. Aside from all of his accolades and accomplishments, he truly is a joy to know and engage in dialogue with. So I'm so excited that he took the time out to join us here at Agape Answers. So I hope that you all will enjoy it just as much as we did in recording it for you. Trigger warnings for today's episode include brief mentioning of anger management, and I hope you can feel the love. Welcome to the show. (laughs) Well, thank you for having me. Thank you. I'm so grateful to have inherited a mentor, a friend, and affectionately an uncle in the Reverend Tony Lee. Um, It is so, so cool. I do not take it lightly, the relationship that we've developed. And I'm just honored that you're here. So this podcast specifically holds a special place in my heart because it really eliminates that smokescreen between the pulpit and the pew. And it it's nice because when questions go unanswered, it can serve as a barrier between us and the God that we desire, that is desiring us also. Um, so I looked to Instagram when we first got started and asked this simple question, which essentially said, if you could ask your pastor anything, what would it be? Um, And the question for today is, how do I deal with temptation? And while we will touch on this today, I believe that the issue of sin and temptation actually runs a lot deeper than just this. And in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, the Bible charges us not to conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And then we will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So I thought we could broaden the conversation a bit and take a closer look at kingdom citizenship in a foreign world. So my first question for you is, is Christianity inherently countercultural? And if so, how would you say that that is? So and I think what you're dealing with is, is the concept that and I would say it inherently is um, at its best. Um, I would say that the tension is um this whole concept of being in the world but not of the world um and that um in current society that the church has aligned itself much more with the world uh, than being counter to it 
Um, and that ends up kind of being the challenge. Everybody wants to fit in. Everybody wants to be a part of it. I think the other challenge, though, is that in some circumstances, folks have been so countercultural uh, that they've been anti-people. And so to be countercultural does not mean that you have to be anti-people. It does not mean you have to be anti-loving. It does not mean that you have to be anti-compassion. To be countercultural means that the culture operates under kind of one set of norms. Um, and the kingdom of God is a different set of norms. So the culture is an eye for an eye. Culture is that if you kill my cat, I kill your dog. Um, but um, the kingdom is a turn the other cheek. The kingdom is... Um, love your enemies. The kingdom is pray for those who despitefully use you. And and that sounds crazy to the culture. That doesn't make sense for the culture because it sounds crazy. But really, uh, that is the strength of Christianity um, at its best is when it can be countercultural, but, but realize that doesn't mean it has to be anti-people. Wow. That's, that's very, very profound and enlightening. Um, my follow-up question would be then, um, when we enter into the faith um, and profess Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we take on this citizenship, this kingdom citizenship, right? So what would that mean to you? And what does that look like exactly? So taking on a kingdom citizenship basically means that you are part of, um, that you are a kingdom citizen with its rights, with its privileges, but also with its responsibilities. So say to be a citizen of the United States of America, uh, you take on the rights, um, the, the, the quote unquote rights of what it means to be a citizen of the United States of America, but also you take on the responsibilities of what it means to be a citizen. Um, and I believe that that is um, one of the challenges that we face right now is that folks aspire to be kingdom citizens and, and they want the rights, but not the responsibilities. Um, that folks want all the benefits of what it means. So a benefit of uh, back in the day in the Roman Empire, a benefit of being in the Roman Empire was that you had protection by Rome. Um, but a responsibility of being in the Roman Empire is that you had to share allegiance to Caesar. Um, and, and so in that, therefore, there were benefits and you couldn't have the benefit without the responsibility. And right now, uh, a lot of times we want the benefits, we want the blessings, we want um, God's hand to be upon us, we want the favor, but we don't want the responsibility of doing things um, in the way that God is shaped out to do it. And we don't want to share the allegiance um, to God um, and allowing God to be the one that we owe all allegiance to. Yeah. Yeah, where do you where do you think that we've we failed in our responsibilities then? So so I, I think it's a couple of pieces. One, I think one piece has been our theology. Um, I think our theology over the last 30, 40 years, um, I, I think has, has been very narcissistic. Um, I think it's been a very me, myself, and I theology. And so we have shifted from a theology of we to a theology of me. Um that we've shifted to um, you can hear it in the way people talk when they talk about, even when they feel they're called, they talk about, well, my ministry is, and my calling is, and this and that, when it used to be, um, that, uh, Christianity was always about the we, it was always communal. Even if you look at, um, it throughout history, it was always a communal kind of a piece. Um, but, uh, we, we've gotten things and in, in to a place in which it's really about what I can get, um, my blessings, my breakthrough, um, God dealing with my stuff. 
Um, and then also, um, because we've gotten so in steep in capitalism, uh, we've done what I call the commodification of the gospel. And so therefore, uh, we've made God kind of like a cosmic bellhop. And our relationship, instead of being transformational, is transactional. That I call God when I need something. Um, that I page God when I want God to do something. And it's transactional. That's even, even our theology, even our praise theology um, has been shaped and steeped in transactionalism. But when the praises go up, what? The blessings come down. So I shout so that God will give me something. I shout so that God will do something for me. When really praise was really about adoring God. Um, praise was really about giving glory to God just because God is God. Um, but it was not necessarily about I do something and then God does something for me. Uh, that's transactional. And so we've got this commodification of the gospel um, that has caused folks to really uh, be extremely selfish um, in their understanding of relationship with God because it's not transformational, it's transactional. Um, that God owes them something. And so that's why folks don't know how to deal with hard time instead of understanding that everybody goes through hard times sometimes and suffering comes for all folks. And God isn't just a God that uh, blesses, but God is a God that walks with you in the midst of suffering. Um, and so I think that's kind of some of our issues. But, but those are not just Christian issues, but cultural issues. The culture has gotten very narcissistic. The culture has gotten very self-centered. The culture has gotten very me, 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 me. And so with that, then you watch the theology get in the same kind of a fashion. Um, and then it became really about, yeah, um, God's there to get me paid. God's there to give me a car. God's there to give me a house. God's there to do this for me. Um, instead of I'm transformed to be an agent of transformation so that the world can be better because I'm here, because God lives in me. Wow. How do we, how do we preach collectivism in particularly the United States where the prevailing narrative is rags to riches, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, individualism through and through? Like how does the church exist and preach community and collectivism and collective uplift. And so I think that goes back to your first question, is Christianity countercultural, <laughs> right? So it goes back to the whole kind of a piece in which it is, for, it is the job of the church. If you look at Jesus, when Jesus came, Jesus preached the kingdom of God, but it was countercultural to uh, the way people were talking about religion in the moment. It was counter to the way that folks were presenting um, um, the, the religious interpretation in the moment. He was speaking to the scriptures of that day, but in a way that nobody, it was counter to it, right? And so how do we do it? We just do it. Um, it's not a how, it's a do we. It's really not about how do we do it? We preach the gospel. Um, we preach scripture. We delve into scripture and preach scripture, but we preach it in a way that people can understand it. And so say for Jesus, in Jesus' time period, Jesus would often use um, um, illustrations out of the time. He would talk about sowing and reaping. He would talk about um, bridesmaids. He, you know, he would talk about those kinds of things, right? Because it were things that people could understand. Um, you know, he would talk about pl the planting because that was an agricultural situation, agricultural age. Well, then uh, we need to be talking about the gospel in ways that people in this time period can understand it and, and um, with illustrations that make sense for people um, and in showing a timeless truth um, in a relevant fashion. 
just do the thing. I love that. Okay. Um, I've heard many times that the church is shying away from the real, you know, fundamental issue of the gospel being sin um, head on. Do you believe that the issue of sin at the heart of the biblical narrative is downplayed too much and why or why not? So I, I think two things. One, I think that in some spaces sin is downplayed. I think that in other spaces sin is lifted to the front, but without grace. Um, and, and I think that both are a challenge. I think that a sinless theology is a challenge. I think that a graceless theology is a challenge. I think a balanced theology of sin and grace. Um, a lot of times sin can be preached in a lot of spaces at the detriment of people. And so you preach sin, but you only preach certain sins, but you don't preach the range of sin. Um, and so therefore certain sins come to the front. Certain sins are an issue. Certain sins are kind of the quote unquote big sins instead of dealing with the fact that we're all sinners saved by grace. And so with that kind of a piece of a, a theology of sin with no grace is a challenge, but a theology of grace with no sin is a challenge too, because, uh, the, the, the reality is that, that God shaped boundaries, um, the God shaped um, this is living in a certain way is the will of God. Um, and here go boundaries. But the boundaries weren't to hurt us. The boundaries were almost like guardrails on a road that's on a cliff. That the guardrails aren't there to hold you in and keep you from exploring. The guardrails are to help you so that you don't get too far out, that you go over the cliff. Um, and so we have to understand, but when we don't preach sin, when we don't kind of talk about the guardrails, uh, then people just end up going off the cliff. But, uh, when we talk about the guardrails, but we use the guardrails to constrain people, then we don't even let people move, uh, because the guardrails aren't necessarily there to be rails to help guide people, but they end up being weaponized so that we can appear to be better. Um, because if that's not my sin then I can talk about your sin and I can look like I'm so much better. Bitch, you don't see my sin and my sin may not be as visible, uh, but my sin is just as detrimental. Wow. I, I like your, your guardrails analogy. And I, and I think a lot about, about college students and incoming freshmen and people who haven't been without those guardrails visibly before. Um, and I think about entering this whole new world when you arrive on campus with new freedoms and new experiences. Um, and it can be really, really difficult when you don't have mommy and dad to tell you to go to church on Sunday um, and those those guardrails like you're, you're talking about. Um, I'm curious to know what advice you would have in providing students um, looking to um, overcome this tug of war feeling with with wisdom? What what advice would you offer? So a, a couple of things. W one of the things that I see is you always have to have an internal conversation in your decision making. And so as you're making decisions, uh, one of the conversations you need to have with yourself is, is this decision going to glorify God? Or is it going to make God frown? Um, is this decision, is what I'm doing, I'm going to be something that is, is going to give God glory, is something that God, or will it be something that God will be frowning about, something that will bring shame to the kingdom? I think that's an important framework because, see, well, here's what happens. Everybody comes to me um, trying to find loopholes in scripture, right? Hey, but can I do this? Hey, but can I do this? 
hey, but where in the world does it say this? Or hey, where in the world does it say this, right? But really, most people know what they should and should not do, right? They, they know it. They know it. It's not some big, you don't have to have a, a PhD in theology. You know it. But the thing is, a lot of times we're trying to find loopholes to get around it. Um, and a nice, easy way of, um, to not deal with the loophole kind of thing is just to ask yourself the question, hey, is this going to serve God? Hey, is this going to glorify God? Hey, um, would God be proud of this decision? Would God be proud of what I'm doing or how I'm living? That's one. Um, I think the second thing that's important. So at the time you go off to college, happened for all of us. I'm talking about me too. I acted like, well, I acted a fool before I left for college. So um, I didn't wait. <laughs> so it wasn't a waiting process. <laughs> I, I got a head start on the foolish, ignorant behavior. Um, and, but going to college, you don't have a, a lot of the constraints that you had when you were living in your parents' household and you had folks who were up over you. Um, but the other thing you have to ask yourself is, what kind of person do I want to be? Um, and and I think that will also assist you along the journey. Um, is, is what kind of what kind of person do I want to be? Do, do I want to be a person of my word? Do I want to be a person of faith? Do I want to be a person, or do I just want to be a person who kind of does whatever, however, whenever? And I think that that's a kind of the, the a big thing to ask yourself as you're moving along. So not having to be deep, but just ask yourself, what kind of person do I want to be? Um, and is this going to give God glory or, or will this, will, will, will this make God smile? I guess my question is how do we, especially with, you know, college students in particular, right? We're mm -hmm. exposed to different ways of thinking, new philosophies, new religions, um, all these different things when we get to college, um, systems, institutions of oppression that exist. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes, you know, the church has taken part in that um, mm -hmm. for those institutions to to exist and, and prevail in our society. Um, so how do we discern whether it's God frowning or a graceless carnal um, system that we need to then unlearn. And so I think there are a couple of things. One, in all of this, I think you have to be clear for yourself what your foundation is. And so for myself, my foundation is scripture. You have to have a, some sense of, okay, so these are the things I look at to see what is true, right? Because right now in college, you're, you're, everyone is telling you this is truth, this is truth, this is truth, that you all are in a season in which from the internet that you find all of these folks saying, this is true, this is true, this is true. So you have to first ask yourself, uh, what is the foundation of how I make my decisions? For myself as a Christian, that foundation is scripture, that foundation is scripture. And so therefore I have to ask myself, what does scripture say about it? Um, that even in what the scriptures say about it, I can also say, what does tradition say about it? Now, I don't have to just say, what does tradition say about it? Because you're right, some traditions cannot be correct. Some traditions need to be shifted. But I look at tradition through the lens of scripture. I also look at it through the lens of experience. And so you can look at these things and kind of pull them together. Um, and, and, and then what I've also learned is uh, that I have conversations with folks who I think are a bit wiser than me, um, folks who have been along the journey, who I trust and who I believe um, are well-meaning people um, to help me as I'm trying to interpret what these things say. Because for me, um, as a college student, I, may, I don't have a PhD in, um, in scriptural interpretation. 
Um, and so let me talk to someone. I, and, I, and I think it's great, especially during this season as a college student, to ask the questions. I think it's just important to ask the questions of somebody who you respect, whose lifestyle you respect. Um, and I think that's important because see, a lot of times what happens is that we'll be asking questions of people and people will be coming with all kinds of answers. And it's not a lifestyle you would want to emulate. Um, but yet you're getting all your answers from them. And so then you're sitting there getting answers from folks whose lifestyle don't pattern in a way that you would want to kind of live like they're mean people. They don't treat, they kick dogs and cats. I mean, they just, you know, they just ain't cool. Um, but yet they're telling you all these great glowing truths. And so for me, it is, but for me, the foundation is scripture and it is um, looking at scripture um, and then being able to have the conversations out of scripture, even the hard conversations out of scripture um, to be able to navigate life in that way. Okay, I, I think I might know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway, you might surprise me. Um, as you know, young people continue to desire God, I know a lot of us are asking, you know, how should we deal with temptation? And, and what do you believe empowers people the most to flee temptation? In the words of Nancy Reagan, just say no. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> Just say no. No. <laughs> that didn't work in the drug war. So um, I don't know if it's gonna work here. Yeah, I don't know if it's gonna work here. Um, so I can say personally, right? Personally, what helped me. So I had been raised initially, I'd gone to a church and I had been raised in the church of rules. And so I understood the rules, right? Um, but I was very good at compartmentalizing things. And so what I would do is I was very good at when I wanted to do what I wanted to do, putting the rules out of my brain and just doing what the heck I wanted to do because I knew how to break rules. Um, I then came in, in my college years actually to a church called Ebenezer AMA and they taught me a bit more about the uh, 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 God of relationship. Right. And so I understood relationship. And so it wasn't just the rules because the rules, I can just, yes or no, I can just kind of put those aside. And that's when I learned that scripture helped me the most against temptation. Um, that I had to do a scrubbing of my brain continually. The Bible talks about uh, not to be conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. The renewing of your mind means that you've got to get rid of your quote unquote stinking thinking, that there are things that you have to unlearn, that you have to renew. Um, and that happens through scripture. That happens by um, a leaning into scripture and holding on to scripture. And, and for me, that's what it was. I had to delve deeper into the word um, and not just a kind of Bible study kind of thing, but a meditating on the word. I'm talking about a memorization. I'm talking about that there was things that I needed to be able to pull up in the midnight hour one. So that was one. The second thing is that you have to deal with stuff when it's small versus when it gets big. Um, and I learned this. Um, and so when I'm talking about temptation, we're not, you know, a lot of times when folks talk about temptation, it's all about sexual temptation, that kind of stuff, right? I'm just talking about that. I used to have anger issues. I used to have major anger issues to a point in which one time I attempted to kill my own brother um, with my bare hands. Um, and so I, I had these kinds of things bubbling up in me. What I learned in anger management classes was, um, well, first, let me ask you, how, how do you make a snowman? You make a snowball and you roll it up, roll it up, and it gets bigger and bigger, right? Mm -hmm. Now, 
The thing about dealing with temptation, if you really, really effectively deal with temptation, is you have to deal with it when it's a snowball, not a snowman or a snowwoman. That you've got to deal with it when it's small. Because a lot of times we're dealing with the stuff when it's huge, when really we need to deal with it when it's the initial thought. When you're having the initial thought, then that's when you speak scripture to it to be able to call it into subjugation, that kind of thing. My favorite scripture is 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation sees you such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not be able to allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear, but with the temptation will provide a way of escape, a way out so that you can stand up under it. There's no temptation you face that somebody else hasn't faced throughout history. Now, you may be facing it in a different way, but it's still a similar temptation. You may be facing on the internet, but it's still a similar temptation, right? But God is faithful. Okay, I can hold on to that. God's faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. Now, this is where people get stuff mixed up because have you ever heard people say, God won't allow you to get, don't give you more than you can handle or more than you can bear? People take this scripture out of context because they take it like God won't give you more pain than you can bear. This is a scripture about temptation. And so the good thing to remember about that is if you're being tempted, you can't say I can't handle it or it's too much for me. Why? Because the scripture says God won't let you be tempted beyond what you can handle. But then it says, but will provide a way of escape so that you can stand up under it. So what does that mean? Anytime you're tempted, you've got to look for your exit route. Anytime you're dealing with temptation, there is a way of escape. The challenge for us is, truth be told, most of us block our own way of escape. Um, so say if my house was on fire, I would be looking for which doors to get out of, which windows to get out of, et cetera. But most of us, the house is on fire and we're putting um, bookcases in front of the windows and the doors so we can't get out. And so for me, that scripture is a scripture that I leaned on so that when I was tempted, I would repeat that scripture to myself but it will remind me to look for my way of escape. So say for me and sexual temptation back in the day, right? I'd get a phone call, hey, come on over. I'd go out to the car and my, and my, and my tire would be flat. That's my way of escape, the flat tire. What would I do? I'd get out the jack, right? Right. God <laughs> gave me the way of escape. God gave me the, hey, I'm trying to help you reorient yourself right? A lot of times God will give you just a little something so that it helps you get your mind right, helps you get, but helps you be like, oh, hold on, hold on. I'm not trying to do this. I'm not trying to do like this, right? Oh, it's your way of escape. I'm going to go rob somebody. Not that's your temptation, but it used to be my old temptation. Um, And God will have my mother call me and be asking me about church or something. That's my way of escape, right? That, that God gives you these ways of escape, that these things that can help you um, to just understand. Sometimes your way of escape is just in the middle of you getting ready to do it or thinking about doing it, that your mind says, no, you shouldn't. That's your way of escape. That's God kind of pricking your conscience and being like, yeah, no, that's not the way I want you to live. This is not it. Um, but and, but I would, re I would repeat that scripture frontwards, backwards, sideways. I repeat it in different languages, matter what country I was in and what kind of sin I was about to get into. Um, I would repeat that joke in just all kinds of ways because that was like my mantra. It was my certain points in my life. I would wake up and just have to be saying it preemptively. I'd have to say it ahead of time, just knowing I don't know what sin I'm about to get into, but I may get into some sin today. So let me just say this scripture because I'm bound for some sin because I'm a <laughs> enough sinner. 
and I like temptation. <laughs> right? No, that's, uh, I mean, if we could be honest, because the fact of the matter is temptation most times is not the stuff we don't like. Like, I've never had a temptation to eat broccoli because I don't like broccoli. I'm Spinach is not my temptation, right? I don't like spinach. But I can name all kinds of other stuff that I really, really like. People are like, oh, well, do you miss sin? Yeah, dag on it. It was fun. <laughs> I enjoyed it. It was fun. <laughs> it was fun. It was a great time. Right? It was wonderful. <laughs> I really had a great time with it. I'm not gonna act like I didn't. Um, it's like almost like you know, people running for president, and they be like, I smoked weed, but I didn't inhale. Barack Obama wrote a book. I smoked weed and I inhaled. <laughs> right? I don't smoke weed no more, but when I did, I inhaled. You've got to be honest with yourself about okay, that's something I like. Um, but that's something that God doesn't like for me. And I'm gonna trust God enough to say, if God doesn't like it for me, it's then not best for me. And I'm gonna trust God enough that God has stuff that's so much better for my life ahead that if I can be disciplined in the way I live right now, then God will take me places I've never dreamt of. And, and that's the whole piece. Because the challenge is there's a scripture that says, um, it's, it's like a city without walls um, is a person without self-discipline or self-control. Right, a city with an unfortified city is a city that the enemy can always come in and do whatever with, can pillage and can rampage. Um, that's a person without self. If you have no self discipline, if you cannot tell yourself no, then it does not matter where God takes you, the enemy can always send something just something regular to, to get you to tear stuff down because you don't you have no self discipline, and so you can go to the highest of heights, but tear it all down because you don't have the discipline to say no and the discipline um, to be able to kind of do things God's way. Went in on that, in that, on that question. Hey, you asked me about temptation. I, I can talk it. all day. Hey, hey, I love it. Um, thank you. Um, I would then, you know, ask, how do you, how do you believe the church should respond to the sentiments? Only God can judge me or I'm only human. And, and why do you think that it's important for us as individuals to regulate and challenge this, this manner of thinking? And so I think that the church has to be clear that it's not the judge, but it is the prophet, which is the difference. So I think one of the challenges is the church has been so judgmental that folks have seen the church as hypocritical because the church is so busy judging, but it's not looking at its own stuff, right? And so it's got people in the church who are sinning who are trying to then be judge and jury, right? But I do think it's the church's job to be able to make sure folks are well informed of what the guardrails are and can do that in a way of love without beating folks up and beating folks down. See, uh, once again, sometimes folks can get so caught up in judgment because it makes them feel higher instead of saying, no, but here is God's will for your life and your life can be better as a result of that. One. The second thing is that I think the church has to do a better job of not just telling people about what they can't do, but telling folks who they can be. Um, and sometimes if you're so caught up in telling people what they can't do or what is a sin and you don't give them a vision for their own life and tell them who they can become. Um, it's like 
it's like you have young people going to church um, and the first time they walk into church and the first thing somebody tells them is take off their hat and pull up their pants. You ain't told them about Jesus. You ain't told them about, hey, we glad to have you. It ain't even like a hat on and pants down is a sin. Um, you know, it's, it's not even like that's in the scripture. But you've gotten so caught up in kind of being a judge and being judgy uh, that you've forgotten about speaking life into somebody and telling them who they can be and telling them the greatness they can be and telling them how they can be a kingdom citizen and tell them uh, what that uh, implies and what that means and what rights come with that, what responsibilities come with that, um, what privileges come with that. Um, and so I, th I think that's an important piece is that we have to learn how to be able to hold the standard and share the standard uh, without acting as if we never break the standard. Okay, we are we're nearing the the close of our interview, but but I appreciate all of the wisdom you've shared today. You've given me some food for thought myself. Um, and I would just ask, um, there's two more questions I want to ask. So one would be, how should young believers exercise discernment? And we talked about it a little bit earlier. Um, but when listening to the voice of God, especially living in a world that gives everyone a platform and demands us all the time to be engaging with content and literature and everyone has something to say on what is truth, like you were saying, how, how do we go about discerning God's voice? One, I think you filter everything through scripture. One, so I think you filter everything through scripture, a scriptural foundation. What does scripture say about this, um, this truth? Um, but two, I think especially when you're young, that it is helpful to look at how others um, have navigated such questions. Um, and, and then three, I think it is having wise mentors um, to be able to have conversations with. Um, that they can be able to kind of paint pictures and share with you and share resources with you. Because the other thing is sometimes, especially when you're young, that you think that everything you see is everything on the argument. And, and, and so I think it's important. And I think that's important because sometimes you think it's a good argument and you don't even realize what school of thought it comes out of. Um, you don't even realize the foundations of that school of thought. You don't even realize how that school of thought fought against another school of thought and another school of thought 2,000 years ago. And this is an old argument just with a new kind of outfit on. Um, and so it's important to be able to wow. talk to people who can be like, that's an old argument. That's nothing new. That, that's an old argument. But let me show you how that's an old argument. Here's how you're not seeing it because you've never seen this argument before. But I've seen that argument. I've studied this stuff. I've, you know, but, and, and this is the foundation. This is the school of thought that comes out of. This is the frame that comes out of. And this, the, the other thing you have to be very careful about, and, and this is what folks do, and I've seen folks do this, especially when they're trying to come against Christianity, um, is that folks will take scripture and show you a part of a truth of scripture, but in a way that only makes sense for their argument but they won't show you the other pieces of scripture that then take that to the fullness of its understanding. 
All right. So folks will take, and that's how folks deal with argument. They'll hand you a piece of a truth, something that on its face value is a truth that you'll look at it and you'll be like, that's a truth. But you don't see how that connects in its fullness. And so you'll be persuaded by the truth that is presented to you when really it's just a piece of a larger puzzle. And so you have to be, um, and it's hard because you're young. And when you're young, you want to say, you know, it all. Um, and I'm talking about that's all of us, all of us when we we're young, we wanted to, we, I've got truth. This is truth. Um, but you have to have the patience with yourself to be able to say, oh, what you just presented me, what's the rest of that? What's the fullness of that? What's the rest of that argument? How does that connect? Um, you've connected in this way, but are there other ways for it to connect? Um, and I think sometimes that's why it's in having conversations and having mentors, um, who have kind of been around the block a bit. Um, and that doesn't mean you have to believe everything your mentor says. That doesn't mean you have to agree with everything your mentor says. Your mentor is there not to tell you what to believe, but just to possibly give you other resources. They can say, hey, oh no, that's what this is about. Hey, check out this book. That's going to help you flush that out a little bit. Hey, check out this resource. Hey, check out this article. Um, and I think that that'll help you. Um, but but don't just trust people um, in your own space, but you need to make sure to kind of broaden your space of understanding and the people who you go to, to help you understand these arguments. Well, thank you so much for, for everything you've offered us today. Um, my last question would just be, what is, what is your prayer for this, this generation? What is your, your plea to them? What would you say to them directly if you could have all of them listening right now? Uh, so my prayer for this generation, uh, I know what I'll do. Ephesians, the third chapter, Ephesians three. Let me just pull it up real quick. Cause I want to read it. Ephesians three fourteen, Um, and this was a prayer Paul prayed for the church of Ephesus. Um, and I think it's a prayer that I, I would want to pray for you all. And I'll explain. It says, for this reason, I kneel before the father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth just rise his name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through the spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is in work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Let me help you understand that. Initially, he said that I pray that out of his glorious riches, that God may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. First thing I pray for this generation is that God would give you inner strength. Um, one of the great challenges for many of us is that we believe uh, that everybody else is our problem. And so we're always fighting against haters. We're talking about the doubters. We're talking about folks who are trying to control us. When the reality is, if you can ever start dealing with your inner stuff and your inner issues, your greatest issue is not who hates on you. Your greatest issue is not your doubters. Your greatest issue is not the people trying to control you. Your greatest issues is self-hate. Your greatest issues is self-doubt. Your greatest issues is lack of self-control. 
And so my first prayer is that God would give you inner strength, the strength to deal with the inner stuff. All of us got inner stuff. I'm talking about stuff that folks talked about you in the third grade and said you looked ugly. And so you don't feel good about yourself. And so you find yourself trying to find love in all kinds of places and trying to people please and trying to be liked by everybody because folks wouldn't let you sit at the lunch table with them. You're 40 years old, but you're still trying to be at the cool kids table. Um, you've got to deal. I'm praying one that God will give you inner strength. The second thing is that uh, it says, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have the power uh, to grasp how wide, long, how high and deep is the love of Christ. I pray that you can begin to understand how much God loves you. And the real reality is that that is based on you being rooted in love. I pray that you find a way to, 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 to shake off the cynicism of the hour and root yourself in love. Love people, express love for people. At the time that you can really understand God's love for you, how wide it is, how long it is, how deep it is, how high it is, then you can stop beating yourself up then you can give yourself second chances. Then you can overcome the mistakes you make. Then uh, you, you can be able to love other folks because you can receive that deep love of Christ that Christ has for you. The third thing is amazing to me because Paul closes with a benediction and he says that now to him who is immeasurably more, who, who's able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, right? I used to get caught up in that part of it because it was like, wow, God can do more than I can ask or imagine. So if I can picture it, God can do more. And if I can ask it, God can do more. And I want you to know that. I want you to know that that whatever you're thinking of your life right now, God can do more. Whatever you're thinking you can become, God can make you more, that God can do better. Whatever your biggest ask is of God, God can do more. But that's not the end of that scripture. It says, unto him who can do all that, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. The foundation of it all is in everything God does in your life, God should be glorified. And my peace to you and my prayer for you, all of you, is somehow in your life, by the end of your journey, you can say God was glorified in my life. That you would ask yourself the question, is God being glorified in my life right now? Is God getting the glory out of who I am right now? And I believe that when you do that, you'll experience something I've experienced. I used to read about folks in history books, and now I've got them in my cell phone. I used to dream about going to certain places, um, and 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 I went there in cornrows. I used to dream about sitting with presidents, and I sat in the White House with President Obama with cornrows, like like it, stuff that God did that I wasn't smart enough, I wasn't gifted enough, I didn't have the hookups for, but God did. I rode on presidential planes when they sent me places. I mean, the God, but God did all of it, and I was the one who was robbing people in undergrad. I was the one who was selling drugs in undergrad. I was the one who was disrespecting everybody in undergrad. I was the one with the anger issues, fighting everybody uh, in the earlier stages of my life. But God saw more in me and for me. And when I was able to really grasp God's love, then God could get the glory out of my life. That's my prayer, that you understand there's so much more to you than you ever could dream of or imagine. And that when God gets through with you, it's going to be something sure enough impressive. And it is going to be something amazing. And I say that to you too, Dr. Jordan. Dr. Jordan. Not doctor. <laughs> I say it to you because I'm believing it ahead of time. Oh. Uh, 
I am excited about what God is going to be doing with you in your life. I believe that God has appointed you as a voice for your age to be able to speak life to your generation. And I believe that if you do not back down from what God is doing in your life, that the history books will write about you. Your name will be in the books. And I will sit there and I will talk on documentaries about you, talking about, yeah, I'm her uncle. And yeah, I remember back, I was in an early podcast. That's right. I did the early podcast, but it was on StreamYard. I remember back in the day. Y'all don't know. I can tell you. But I believe that God's hand is on your life in that kind of incredible fashion. And I believe that if you will stay focused and stay lined up with God's word and stay lined up in this season, um, I believe that what God can do to you will impact millions and billions to God's honor. But most of all, what? To God's glory. That God will be glorified in your life. Thanks, Uncle Tony. <laughs> so Thank, Thank you. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I pray you enjoyed our discussion today and felt the agape love all up in the building. If you want to be locked in with this love, join me back here next month. And if you do not have a church home, I'd love to connect you with one. So please take advantage of the ways to connect with me listed in the description. Welcome to the family love bug and remember God loves you. And so do I. We'll talk soon. Bye.